Hello, and welcome to the Fisher and Phillips Wage and Hour podcast. This is a podcast for employers that want to be sure they're paying their employees properly. I am Haygood Ty, and I have the great fortune of serving as the co-chair of our firm's Wage and Hour practice group, along with one of my guests today, Kathy Caminiti. One of the nice things about our firm is, is that we all get to work together, even in different offices, and get to be good friends, and Kathy and I have done that over the years. In addition to serving as co-chair of the Fisher and Phillips Wage and Hour Practice Group, Kathy also serves as a co-chair for our firm's Pay Equity Practice Group, and she is a very active class and collective action litigator, among other types of employment law. We are also joined today by Josh Allen. Josh is a lawyer in our New Jersey office. He does all labor and employment work, but focuses heavily on wage and hour issues of some of the types we'll be talking about today. And that brings us to today's topic. Our topic is independent contractors. Uh, One of the things that we see in the news and hear about from our clients from time to time is the issue about whether or not an individual should be classified as an employee or as an independent contractor. And so, Kathy, I might turn to you first. When companies are thinking about independent contractors, what sort of issues should they be considering? Thanks, Haygood. First and foremost, um, it's important to recognize that there has been an increased scrutiny and emphasis on independent contractor enforcement and and classification. So our our clients and and friends should be thinking about whether a particular worker is classified properly as an independent contractor or an employee. The default, generally speaking, is that an individual is a um, employee unless particular tests, they can pass certain tests, um, and there are a variety of different tests applicable. So the key takeaway, in addition to looking at whether an individual can meet um, a test that might be applicable on the federal level, it would be called an economics realities test. On the state level, say in New Jersey, where uh, Josh and I practice, it's an ABC test that's also um, under California law. Really, the, the, the headline is that there is a lot of enforcement activities that are um, out there. Both the federal and the state governments are focusing heavily on independent contractor misclassification. Uh, You may have seen uh, in the news, and certainly Fisher and Phillips um, wrote an alert on this issue, the U.S. Department of Labor hired over 100 investigators in the last um, couple of months to boost enforcement efforts. So that's important. Moreover, the Biden administration, which has um, stated uh, a pro-worker platform, Um, has tasked his agencies, the Department of Labor, along with um, the National Labor Relations Board, other uh, areas of government, to 
to be focusing on rigorous enforcement of independent contractor misclassification. It's an important issue um, for the government, and as a result, it's an important issue for for our clients who are um, wanting to comply with the law and avoid what can be very, very expensive misclassification um, issues. Well, Kathy, thank you, Josh. We just heard a little bit about what's going on at the national level. Are there state or local issues that we should be taking into account? Thank you, Haygood. Yes, absolutely. So in addition to all of those efforts at the federal level, many state and local governments have been enacting new laws aimed at increasing enforcement and penalties for misclassification. For example, just last year in July, New Jersey enacted a law that aimed at increasing the enforcement and the penalties for misclassification. Likewise, uh, in July 2020, Virginia enacted a law that provided a private cause of actions for civil litigants who were misclassified as independent contractors for them to seek unpaid wages and benefits. And recently, Seattle passed an ordinance that requires companies who are contracted with independent contractors to provide certain disclosures at the time of entering a contract, as well as at the time of payment. So really what we're seeing as a whole is there's this focused effort on independent contractor misclassification enforcement by government and civil litigants across the country. Josh, thank you. And just, just to be sure all our listeners are understanding what we're saying here, when we, when we use the term misclassification, we're talking about an individual who's being classified as an independent contractor when other under federal or state or local law, they really should have been treated or classified as an employee of that organization. So Kathy, sometimes we have individuals that are hired in and they might want to be classified as an independent contractor rather than an employee. But for our clients who are employers, what are the risks if we misclassify an individual as an independent contractor when they really should have been an employee? Great question, Haygood. And and first and foremost, even if the worker wants to be uh, classified as a freelancer or as a contractor, Um, that individual's desire cannot control, even if they've gotten a written agreement in place. Um, The risks, very high stake. Um, First of all, there's private litigation um, that, as as, uh, Josh mentioned, um, so if an individual is is misclassified, they may be owed back overtime plus liquidated damages, which is is double on the the federal level, and it could be triple on on certain states, such as New Jersey. Um, In in litigation, you also have attorney's fees, plaintiff's attorney's fees, federal enforcement action, um, and and state enforcement action can include stop work orders, um, where they literally issue injunctions um, with respect to uh, ceasing work um, at your place of business. In addition to the immediate issue, um, especially when we're seeing um, governmental agencies sharing data and things like that, there are issues with respect to back unemployment taxes that may be due to your state, um, social security contributions, civil, civil fines and penalties, you know, really high stakes issues, um, benefits that might be owed uh, to an individual who is who is deemed to have actually been a W uh, 
two employees. So um, it's an area where Pennywise could be pound foolish. Well, those are those are great points, Kathy. I know that I, I see these days whenever the United States Department of Labor conducts an audit, one of their out-of-the-box questions is, please tell us anybody that's been identified as an independent contractor so that they can scrutinize it. So these issues come up sometimes as a result of an audit instead of an employee complaining. So Josh, when we think about some of these issues that we've been talking about today, what, what sort of steps do you think employers should consider to try and protect themselves? So first things first, I think what employers need to do is they need to look at their independent contractors and review the relationship they had with them, the, the work relationship. And the primary focus here is they got to look at the degree of control that they exercise over the manners and means of the independent contractor's work. If they exercise a lot of that control, you're getting closer to a, an employee relationship and an independent contractor relationship. And in fact, most of the tests that uh, Kathy mentioned earlier, they focus on that degree of control. In addition, employers should be on the lookout for like certain independent contractor red flags. And here we're talking about independent contractors who are performing the same work as employees, former employees who are now independent contractors and may kind of be performing similar role that they did as an employee, and looking at independent contractors that are really integral to the company's operation. Because if they are under most, if not all the tests, they're more likely to be employees or um, properly classified as, a, as employees than independent contractors. Well, great. Well, Kathy, when we're thinking about other things to consider, uh, does the fact that somebody has a, an agreement with an independent contractor protect them by themselves, or are there other considerations? Unfortunately, a written agreement um, is not dispositive at all of uh, independent contractor status. In fact, it is given very, very little weight. Um, the, the issues uh, really come down to control and also whether the individual is in business for themselves. Um, the Department of Labor and courts really look at whether it's an independent um, uh, economic realities test or another test, is the individual in business for themselves? Do they have a website? Do they have business cards? Is it the type of work that an individual usually is doing on a freelance basis, such as you know, the tradesman, a you know, plumber or an IT person who might have several clients? Um, and we're seeing, um, and we recommend to clients if they really feel like they have some concerns there, that they just don't know whether somebody's an independent contractor, to be looking at maybe doing a, a compliance audit. Um, and, and taking a look at, um, you know, whether the individual truly falls into a contractor status. Um, and, you know, that is the type of audit or compliance review um, that, you know, many clients consider doing. And um, they do it under a privileged basis. So for two reasons, they have the advice of counsel um, who know the various tests and how they're applied, the applicable law. And also the privilege helps them um, engage in a, a real fulsome analysis without creating a record um, while they're trying to evaluate and, and correct what, what might be uh, uncovered as a mistake. Well, great. Well, 
I want to thank Kathy Caminiti and Josh Allen for joining us today. You can tell by listening that they have an immense amount of knowledge about this very important issue, really probably even more important this year than in the past. If you've got additional questions about this topic, please reach out to either Kathy Caminiti or Josh Allen. Uh, you can also check our Fisher and Phillips Wage and Hour webpage, where we have a lot of helpful information, free articles, um, some interactive maps that provide you information on a state-by-state -state basis, as well as how to access additional blogs on other wage and hour topics. Thank you for joining us today and stay well. This podcast provides an overview of a specific developing situation. It is not intended to be and should not be construed as legal advice for any particular fact situation. Thank you.